Will you please just make a note of the following? I'm just going to give you a few little things here that I think are good for us to, if you make a note of it, like I have it written so that every now and then I have a look at it again. And uh, just some things that I think we need to be constantly reminding ourselves of. First of all, making a note of these things, the life of God is powerful. Going somewhere, doing something. The life of God has power and purpose. The life of God is going, is, is power, it's powerful. It's going somewhere, doing something. In other words, there's power and there's purpose. God doesn't pour out his life just to be spilled and played with. Purpose. Secondly, growth and effectiveness, I'll repeat this a few times, growth and effectiveness is a part of God's design for almost everything. Growth and effectiveness is part of God's design for almost everything. Everything that has God life in it grows. Everything that has God life in it grows. Number three, God has a solution or solutions to growth and stagnation. Number two was growth and effectiveness are part of God's design for almost everything. Everything that has God life and it grows. And I've got to under behind grows just to make it more powerful, I put an exclamation mark. The impact of it. And thirdly, God has a solution or solutions to, for every or to every, to growth and stagnation. God has a solution. How to grow and how to get out of stagnation. Number four, God can turn a worm into a threshing Sledge, new, sharp, with many teeth. Now I'm quoting a scripture. God can turn a worm, delicate and weak. God can turn a worm into a threshing sledge, new and sharp, with many teeth. And that's Isaiah chapter 41 Verses 13 to 15. But you, O worm Jacob. God's choice there of words is pretty applicable. A worm is really, I mean, can you go much lower than a worm? Softer, squashy, useless, etc. That point. The text is Isaiah 41, verses 13 through to 15. Isaiah 41, 13 to 15. And when, in today's context, you think of a sharp threshing instrument with teeth, think of these big things I have in the streets with these big teeth, picking up rocks, pulling up tar, breaking through mountains, 
It's a picture that God's trying to convey to us. He can make a worm into that. So no matter how wormy you feel. Number five. Leaders have a vital role to play in all And I would say all of this. Leaders have a role to play in it all, but usually miss the essentials of that role. Leaders have a role to play in all of this, but usually they miss the essentials of what their role is. So often, I'm just under the same point, so often they just major and involve themselves in minor aspects of their call and function. I'm hoping I can get to this a little more tomorrow, but just throw this one little thing in. One of the things you won't find in the Bible is how leaders have to involve themselves in all the nonsense that goes on in the church. Right from the inception of the New Testament leadership emerging in Acts 6, you guys sort this out. We must give ourselves, devote ourselves to prayer, etc. The Word of God and yet the devil gets us and the congregation wants us to be involved in the things that are not actually what God has called us to be involved in. There are other people in the body of Christ that should be doing those things. And so many leaders are involved in second-hand dis disputes, second-hand wars, things they don't know of. What I've learned over 50-something years is there's always two sides to almost every story. And we only normally get the one. And we start acting on that. And I've seen churches split, families split. People throw, just quit on God, even leaders, because they got involved in the wrong things. The number of times people have said to me, well, what do you think about and then they bring the names in and I just, I won't get involved. What does it matter what I think? Number six. New Testament leaders generally emerge from the local congregation. In the New Testament. New Testament leaders generally emerge come through in a local church congregation. But the church over the last centuries imports them from our, and there's nothing wrong with it when we have to. But it's just when it becomes, that's what we expect. Instead of me as a leader saying, as our church grows, we're going to need more leaders. And therefore it's part of my privilege and opportunity and work kind of agenda to see those leaders emerging from within my own congregation. Now Paul did go and get Timothy but for apostolic work. So I want there to be faith in your hearts and in in our, all of our lives. God I'm going to start expecting the way I minister, the way I handle things or 
I'm going to start expecting to see leaders starting to emerge on our own. Remember this, that your church, when you stand up on Sunday, if you do this, well, you're not going to get a chance this Sunday, but when we get back where we can be in buildings and the people are there, look at them and say, this is God's, not only his bride, but this is his fishing pool. So that every time he needs a leader, just drops it in, pulls one out. Excuse the analogy, it's pretty terrible. But because of the pool, that's God's fishing pool for the future. And so if you're expecting God to cause your church to grow, which we've talked about in this, everything that has the life of God in it grows. Everything. So if the life of God's in your church, then surely you're expecting it to grow. Then be ready so that when it grows, it doesn't, the growth doesn't destroy the life of the church. All around the world, for the 50-something years I've been saved, people have been praying for revival. Oh God, revival, rend the heavens and come down. Pour out your spirit, move across, send forth laborers into the fields, etc., etc. I mean, in 50-something years that I've been around, and I often think to myself, if he did, it would destroy us. We wouldn't know what to do with all the people pouring in. Accounts of the Hebridean revival on the Isle of Lewis and across some of the Scottish islands. Every cinema, every theater, every pub closed down. People wanted to be with God. Miners were coming out of the mines, midnight, coming off shift, dirty, soiled, getting up to the top, falling on their faces. No preachers, nothing. God. Similar things have happened in the Welsh and, so other, and other revivals. What would happen if God sent revival and suddenly just any church here, the biggest one, what would happen if God gave you 200 new people next Sunday? that were on fire for God. Get us, let us go. Let's do something. What would you do? Prepare so that when God does. Are you with me? And so, number seven, we need to reassess the main call of leadership what it really is. We need to reassess it, have a fresh look at it, and come to some conclusions under God that become convictions. Leadership and its importance. I wish I could be speaking, everything I'm talking about is into a leadership context, but there's a whole set of notes I've got there on leadership. What should they be doing? How do we see new guys? What are we looking for, etc.? Hoping we can get to little bits and pieces of it here and there. But this is what I want us to understand today. Most every problem in the world today, be it the country, family, Business, the church, anything, most of the problems 
are a result of ill-equipped, poor leadership. Think about it, truthfully. Broken families, ill-equipped, immature leadership. Husband and wife supposed to be the leader. The husband's supposed to be the leader of the family. The wife and husband supposed to be leading together. And they're so ill-equipped, so immature, fighting for their own rights. Who's the boss? Who's going to spend the money? Who, who, who? And the family falls apart. Governments, so taken up with their own positions and giving themselves salaries and not knowing how to handle ordinary things, never mind crises. Businesses. And in church leadership, almost every problem in the church is as a result of poor, ill-equipped leadership. Now, leaders are supposed to be part of the solution. Always, only part of the solution and never, ever part of the problem. That's why we have leaders in the Bible. They're supposed to be part of the solution. But instead of what they should always only be, they normally are always only part of the problem. Instead of the solution. I want to be big shot. I want to preach. Why don't I mean the number of guys who've come to me over the 50 years that I've been a leader. And said to me, why didn't you let me preach? What's wrong with me? And they start sulking and acting like little immature kids. Some people are blushing. Why didn't you let me be this guy? Why didn't you pick me to be on part of the Translocal team? Why didn't you? Why didn't... Generally, if I had the courage, I'd say, I'll tell you why, before we say anything else, the very fact that you're saying what you're saying, that's the biggest part. <laughs> Promotion doesn't come from Dudley. It comes from God. It doesn't come from the east or the west or anything in between. That's right across the whole broad spectrum. Everything included from east to west. It comes from God. And you know that, sorry, I'm getting up for a moment. I just need to, I can feel this thing stirring. You know with Moses, when he said, I, I, I can't handle all this, and he's given this opportunity, choose some leaders. This kind of leader, he chooses 70, I think it is. And he leaves a few guys out, two of them called Eldad and Medad. And as the Spirit of God comes upon them, because that's what he said, the Spirit, let them have some of your spirit. What I put on you, let them have. Two of them start doing what the others are doing. They start prophesying. And young Joshua comes and says, stop them. He says, whoa, would to God that all God's people. They got promoted too, left out. David. Samuel comes and says, Jesse, where are your sons? 
Well, and they all come, seven of them. And who gets left out? And who gets chosen? And that's right through the scriptures. Why did you leave me out? Sometimes I honestly don't know why. I know apart from the fact that what they're asking is wrong, but why didn't we choose them? Because God didn't put it on our hearts. Oh, you perfect? No, we're not. But I know this. I live in this confidence. If we miss it, he'll make it known to us. Even if it takes a few weeks or a few months. You know, this is just thinking of this. When it was time for me to hand over the team, the one I can be untruthful, Tyron never entered my mind even in prayer. Now, God had already told me that my sons would be involved in, but it, I never even considered Tyron. God's listening to me. Never entered my mind. He was not even thought of. And I saw people, men, and you look at them and you think, man. But God gave me a word of wisdom. Ask each of the guys on team who they think. Don't you tell them who you think. Ask them who they think. And with one exception, hear me now, one exception, an Australian guy, every other guy on team at the time said Tyron. Not all of them came and said it. Most of them did. Some didn't. They weren't able to. But when I said, this is what it seems to be the consensus, I said, if you disagree, tell us. And one guy came and told me. And I admire him for it. But the rest said, yes, Tyron's the guy. God knew that I didn't even think of him. But God gives the promotion. Not even dads. And the day you start to promote your kids, you're getting into trouble. Let God promote them. And when I look now, and I think of the immature man he was, in the sense of some of the maturity we had, Ray Oliver, Leon Vandal, etc., the maturity we had in that. But you see, most guys caught it. This isn't going to be the father. This is just going to be the guy who says, we've talked enough, like the James thing in Acts 15. We've talked enough now. Let's make a decision. Not the boss, the leader of the team, just on the cutting edge there saying, come with us. This is the decision we've made. Now, most of the team in that day, for when I was leading, understood that. But some of the team, even while I was leading, made me the boss. And I wouldn't allow it, but they wouldn't stop calling me boss or insinuating he's the boss. I've checked this out with the boss. And I couldn't change that. Those who did couldn't walk it through because they saw a boss. 
somebody who's supposed to have it all put together. And I'm trying to teach you something for your own life. You may not have it all put together. But when God promotes you, God will do something that will even surprise you. I'm constantly now, God's listening. I think I even said it this morning twice, somewhere along the line in my time with God. God, I thank you for New Covenant Ministries. I cannot believe that I could have been part of it. Now, I thank God for the whole church, but I thank God for what he's done. You can't believe, you are surprised what God will do in and through you when God promotes you. And I'm not talking about this way. It's that way. There's only one head. There'll always only be in God's economy one head. We've got lots of heads of the church around the world, even in our own ranks. But from God's biblical economy perspective, there's only one head, it's Jesus. And the only thing that the Scriptures talks about when it talks about being those who are over you in the Lord, it's more a protection like an umbrella. Yes, there is command because it's the Word of God. But there's no boss. God doesn't have bosses in His church. He's the boss. He looks at Dudley Daniel and he said, I could never make that guy the boss. He'd mess it up too quickly, but I'll use him as long as he keeps making me the boss. Now, to use a more biblical word, king, lord. And I know this is spelt differently about lording it over the church, but the pronunciation is the same. Who's lording it over your church? Truthfully, I'm telling you, if you don't answer that question while I'm asking it, truthfully, this time will be a close, three weeks' time, it's a waste. Truthfully, who is the boss, God? And I've had to go before God and say, God, there was this aspect for some time that I've lorded it over these people. In my ignorance, in my stupidity, in my being influenced by other leaders who do it this way, I've had to repent. I hope you're hearing me. Answer that question honestly, guys. Who's lording it? Who is Lord? All right. Poor leadership. Now, we need to build our lives, our leadership and our church on the threefold, found, threefold foundation. All of you know it, so I won't spend much time on it. But the first part of the foundation, the most important part, is Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. That's the foundation, not on what worked with this guy in America who's now got 15,000 or 20,000 people or 100,000 if he could get it, or even what Yonggi Cho had, 
with his 750,000 at the end, the last count that I heard of. Three quarters of a million people. That can't be the foundation. Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. Ephesians 2.20. Secondly, the second part of the foundation is the Word of God. Matthew 7, 24 to 27, God, Jesus speaks about the foundation. This man built his foundation on the sand, this on the rock. And it's interesting that the Bible doesn't say what I would have said. And I would have said, well, now you build your hand on the sand or the rock. And if, this found, if the, the storms come, he didn't use the word if. He said when, which means it's inevitable. It's coming. It's inevitable. When the storms come, the guy who built on the sand, the guy who built on the rock, stood. And most people say, well, that's on Jesus. When you look at it, it's actually on the Word of God. You read it for yourself. It's the Word of God. That's the foundation. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. And then there's this firm foundation called the Word of God. So to the degree, listen to me, please. Three weeks' time, you ignore this. Three weeks' time, a lot of what you're getting now is going to just be dissipated. You need to go back and reassess as a leader and a leadership what's on the Word of God and what's what we introduced from the world, from successful businesses and so-called successful big churches that are not seeing salvations, real transformation of culture, communities, countries. There's certain groups of guys that are spreading across the earth, and I'm not picking on them, I'm just showing you the difference, that'll come and say, if you will go, pick on you for a moment, if you will go and plant a church for us, and such, we will give you 50 people, and we will pay your salary for the next five years. Big salary. Some people to say no to that. So they say, look at what we're doing. And I'm saying, I, unfortunately, I am. You don't need to tell me to look up, man, and I'm grieving. Picking good communicators. But God's looking for spiritual. You know that word, that word spiritual in the, in, the, in the Greek? It means those things that have their origins in God and therefore display the character of God. That's what spiritual means. Have their origins in God. So when even when Paul's writing to the Corinthians saying, now concerning pneumaticon, Some of the gifts and things, he's talking about true spiritual realities, not made up stuff, etc., etc. All right. So, so many leaders pay so little attention 
to the emphasis of the Scripture. We're still on point two here, the Word. The emphasis of the Scripture. The thing that God gave me that I believe has saved my life, even though it's lost some friends, is emphasize what the Word says and enjoy some of those things that are not the Word, but looks like it could be God. Don't put the camera on what's happening there that isn't the Word. Are you there? It's going awful quiet. So where it's valid, I enjoy it. But even when I'm, it's valid and I'm enjoying it, that's not the emphasis. Keep the emphasis on what the Word emphasizes. Are you there? Right. We emphasize sometimes more non-biblical, extra-biblical experiences or formulas. Number three, foundation, the apostles and prophets. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. And no matter what people, whatever interpretation they want to put on that, that's what Paul wrote. Now, doesn't he say just the Bible? Apostles and you just say the Bible. Because of apostolic ministry, prophetic ministry, the importance of it. All right. Now, those are the three foundations that are absolutely essential. Something gone wrong? Ah, oh, thanks. Thank you. Oh, I've knocked it again. All right. I hope I'm all right. Another major foundation, it's not of the same proportion of the, as those, but another major foundation in leadership is that we must not do but be worshippers. Now, I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. But let me repeat it. Another ma major foundation in leadership is that we are to be, not to do, worship. I'll tell you, catch this. I think you know it, but catch it again. All human beings everywhere on earth were created to worship God. In actual fact, I don't understand how, even the trees, the birds, the bees, all of creation... It's been created to worship God. I don't know how they're going to do it. But certainly men and women made in the image of God, we're created to worship God. In other words, we're created to be worshipers. And if we don't worship God, we will worship something else. On the silly extreme of worshiping pop stars, Young, innocent woman, screaming, shaking, and will strip naked and go to bed with the dirty guy who hasn't showered for years. Literally. Because they're made to worship, and so they worship something else. We worship 
Some people worship people who make big money, billionaires. We idolize them. We wor- and unfortunately, some people even worship pastors. I don't know how this phenomenon works. But you can be the ugliest brute on planet Earth. I mean it. You can be uglier than me. And you can look handsome and attractive to a needy woman. I don't know how it works. But I've seen it work for 50-something years. We've got to be aware of this. When we start allowing people to worship us, you don't know where this is going. When you start self-promoting and putting yourself in the place of Christ, when Christ is the only head, and you allow people to believe that you're the head of this local church, we're made to worship. So if we as leaders are not worshipers, there will be people beginning to worship us or we will start to worship some others. And so we worship the big church pastors and leaders. And I don't understand this and I'm just daring to say it again because I think it's finished now. But some people almost worship Dudley. Well, Dudley said, Dudley, I've done my utmost best under God to stop that. I wouldn't even allow people to call me pastor when it, when it was unfashionable. I didn't have another person on earth that was saying, I'm, pastor is my function, not my title. I don't want people worshiping anything but God. So not only is that bad enough that they begin to worship a pastor, some pastors worship themselves. I'm telling you, self-worship, almost every self is, selfie, self, (laughs) almost every self, self whatever comes after the hyphenate, is self-worship. Almost everyone. So you put whatever comes, you can go look in the dictionary, what all the self, just get, Google it. Get the shock of your life. So what are you getting at, Dudley? Why are you telling us all this? Well, I'm warning you, but try more to say, hey man, we're to be worshipers, not just do it, because we all do it on Sundays. I think most every one of us, even the most insecure kind of introverted guy, will sometimes raise his hand. We're doing worship without being a worshiper. To the degree that we're taken up with the one we worship, to that degree are we worshiping. And that's an encounter. Worship is an encounter of a human being with God. And so that's why I say some of the stuff we do on the frontier and the way the guys carry on, those are distractions to true worship. 
And I love music. I, I want to tell you something. Before I had this, intro, this kind of problem in my ear, I loved loud music. I, I'm really. When we have those Bloemfontein times and it's bow, 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 and we're jumping and dancing. I remember in the church on the hill there, one guy used to cartwheel around the place and, and it was genuine. And then it became, this is what I do and I'm known for now. Man, how can you not know God and not get excited about him sometime? I'm trying to be real here. I love my wife with all my heart, but I'm not forever excited. <sighs> Sometimes I'm not thinking about her, and they, may, they can be there, but we've got to be from here, worshipers. I wish I could say I walk around just worshiping God all day, everywhere, even when I'm driving my car, just, hallelujah, praise God, you know. There are times we don't, but I am a worshiper. And I know the difference between doing and being. And I know it when I'm in a church. Unfortunately, I was exposed as the leader of the team. Dudley's coming, we'll put in our best musicians and do our best thing because we want to look impressive. Now, they never said that. But that's what they did. And they didn't realize that I was a little bit mature enough to understand and God had given me enough gifting to know this is show. And I'm supposed to be impressed and I don't know how to act impressed. <laughs> I'm supposed to say, wow. Isn't it wonderful to worship with all of God's people? Of course it is. But we weren't worshiping. I'm just being a little stronger than I want to be, but I'm trying to get the point across. Because somehow or the other, I say these things, and I've saying them for 20, 30, 40 years, and still some people do it. The same old, same old. You know, I haven't got to this. <laughs> it's under another context. But you know, they tell me that if you grab a bottle, and you stick a whole bunch of fleas in there, and then you put the top on, those fleas, they program to jump. So they're just all bump, 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 but they're hitting the top of the bottle all the time. Leave them there long enough, take the bottle off, and none of them jump anymore. Still fleas. Allow your people to get away with this for long enough, and they won't even know how to worship anymore. Learn the lesson of the flea. And flee from the flea lesson. <clears throat> Stupid, but couldn't resist it. All right. That's a foundation of leadership. Are you a worshiper? If not, today, Father, forgive me. Now, I'm not going to worship like some guys can. And there's some guys, I mean, they're just demonstrative without trying to demonstrate anything. And others are just really so introverted. But surely, even the most introverted born-again Christian can one day clap his hands once 
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. <laughs> Praise him, you all creatures. Here be love. Even that's enough for a start. But when leaders never clap, never raise their hands, never even move like... <laughs> just a little, just something. Man, without God, music is supposed to move you. It's supposed to be the universal language. I used to just, I mean, I loved just, I know I looked stupid. I was in my 40, 40 years and 50 years old, running around places, just excited. Not because the group did. There were times the group was running around and I just felt like that's not where I'm at. Other times, literally, I'm the only guy running. Now, I'm not saying any of that is necessary. I'm just saying surely somewhere we get excited about God. If we leaders and we're supposed to show people how to worship, then become one. Don't do it. Become one. Get on your knees and say, Father, I don't want to get up from you until I'm excited about who Jesus is again. You know, this is so bad that I'm getting into now. But I'm telling you, I was so stupid when I got saved, so stupidly, madly in love with Jesus. I remember a man coming to South Africa, this is now 1968 or 69, called uh, Richard Wormbrand or Wurmbrandt. Yeah. I think he was from Polish or one of those Iron Curtain kind of countries. And he was preaching. And I'm just this new convert, hadn't been saved long. Still trying to recover from all, I mean, I was, I was just still a, a mess from my drinking and all the rest of it. And I'm seeing this man, I'm sitting here, yeah, he's like there. I'm thinking, first of all, I am so excited that I have the privilege of seeing this man who suffered for Christ, just to see him in the actual flesh. And then he starts telling us how he was, what they did in the prison. They broke his legs that many times, he grew six inches from the cracks as they rehealed in prison. And then he lifted his shirt up and showed us where they stuck red hot pokers telling him deny Christ. And I, this is, I was so crazy about Christ. I was thinking, Jesus, I'd, I'd love to do that for you. Now I'm thinking, please don't let it ever happen. <laughs> but I haven't lost my love. It was stupid, but you tell what I'm, I got so excited about Christ. What's going on, man? So many churches, even when they're playing good music with good musicians, it sounds to me like we're at a, at a funeral. It's like a dearth. And now I apologize and sit down. All right. Move along, yeah. Move along, Dudley. I've missed those. <laughs> that, hearing that voice always tell me, move along, Dudley, move along. 
We don't want to call these problems, but these are some of the major things that I believe God's trying to deal with in the life of the church right now. Has been for years and will be for some more years, I reckon. But we can have them dealt with now. And I'm going to just itemize them with one or two comments just so that I'm more honest than I was earlier without intentionally being dishonest. But as a reading, if I was able to do this as a, given a few weeks to teach on it, I would take Philippians chapter 2 about Jesus, who in the, being in the form of God, counted not equality with God, things to be grasped at, etc. All these things made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a man, even a servant, etc., etc. That would be what I'd be moving from, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through to 21, especially from verse 1 to 11 and 19 to 21, if you don't have the time. There's 23 things I want to just itemize here. 23. And we can never cover them all in, in doing them, but some will hopefully do a little bit along the line. And they're not in the order of importance. It's just what I had written down here as I sat down one day years ago, started writing these things, and I added a few more as the years have gone on. One of the things God's having to deal with in the body of Christ worldwide is ungodly ambition and ungodly aspirations in leadership. Now, there's nothing wrong with aspiring to leadership. If any man, Paul writes to Timothy in that third chapter, 1 Timothy 3.1, if any man desires or aspires to the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. So there's nothing wrong with aspiring to be a leader in eldership, serving God in God's call. But when it's ungodly, and God's wanting to deal with that problem, and and wanting to deal with it in elderships, and the only way that God can deal with selfish, ungodly ambition or aspirations in your life is for you to let him. I wish I could go on with that. Number two, and this could be one of the biggest ones, no ongoing unfolding and revelation from God. None ongoing unfolding of God's revelation. Where there's no vision, no revelation, people cast off restraint, people perish. Hope I can spend a more, more time on that. I just want to say this. When you're no longer getting revelation, your circle of desire to influence just keeps on getting smaller. From the world to Australia, if you live there, to Adelaide, to the suburb I'm living in, to my little church, to my little family, and to me. The circle just gets smaller. You pastoring a church where people don't want to go to the, country, to the nations of the world ever. I'm not talking about three or four. I'm talking about got a church of a few hundred, a good many of those 
have no desire. There's, there's no, you could be preaching about revelation, but there's no real unfolding of revelation from God. It's a major problem in the church. And churches are not shrinking numerically necessarily. Some are. Some are staying the same. And some are even looking like they're growing because they've got all sorts of programs going. But the church has shrunk, even if it stays the same size. When you stop getting revelation. Number three. God's dealing with the difference between organized and organic life. Especially in leadership. Number four. Am I going too fast? Number four. Another problem. Who is actually building the church? I did touch this yesterday, I think. Is it just Christ or is it just us or is it us with Christ in partnership? Co-laborers together. Number five, I'll go back. Ungodly ambition or aspirations in leadership, no ongoing, ongoing unfolding of revelation and revelation, organized or organic life and leadership. Who's building the church? Number five, the head severed from the body. The head, Jesus, severed from the body, the church. We preach Christ, but we ignore preaching anything about his body, the church. People need to know what church is, and we tried to look at some of that yesterday. Number five, now six, powerless leaders or pastors, leaders, preaching powerless messages. I wish I could stop there. Powerless preachers preaching powerless messages on power. And I wish I could stop there with the, the same point. Powerless pastors, leaders, preaching powerless messages about power and, and powerless followers settling for less than what they could have had. Powerless followers settling for less than they could have had. You know, when people come to your church, church I was pastoring at any one of them, they come with, with hope, they, with an expectation of more than they settle for when they got there, they expected more. And like the fleas, <laughs> reductionism number seven, reductionism. Not finished yet, just that word reductionism. Reductionism of the, the Bible, the truth, Ministry, priesthood, and so we could go on. We reduced the Bible. We have re reduced truth, all of truth, to one or two truths that we like. 
We've reduced ministry from the priesthood of all believers to one man who preaches all. You know, that only really, really took off when Constantine declared Rome, all of Rome, Christian. And then they stopped what they were doing and they built these huge big buildings where one guy mesmerized everyone. And that's the pattern we still have today, by and large. One guy. Now, I don't believe we should use some guy who can't preach. But I don't want to be in a church where it's just this guy's the only guy we ever hear. Because I know this guy can be as godly as he can ever be and as wise as it's possible to be humanly wise, and still he's got such a small little grasp of the broad spectrum of truth. And God ensures that no one person gets set up to be worshipped by saying, I want a team. So we've reduced team to one person from the priesthood of all Believers down to team, down to one person. Number eight, false fire. False fire. Leviticus 10, 1 to 3. Leviticus 10, 1 to 3. The sons of Korah produced false fire. It looked like the real thing. And this is one of those things where I said, if you don't read your Bible, you won't believe that God ever kills people. But money just opened up the earth and <laughs> they were gone. A whole big bunch of them. Gone. Who opened the earth? The devil. No. Well, Moses must have had guys. No, God. False fire. People are falling for false fire all around the world. And I'm not even talking about guys who are making stupendous claims. Some of it looks pretty innocent. But it's false fire. You know, I'm, I'm reading a book of Jeremiah this, in my devotions. And it's one of those books that I don't always like reading. And then it's even worse when I get to Lamentations. <laughs> All these laments. But what constantly comes through is God saying, if a man says... And it doesn't happen. He's a false prophet. You see, it can be false. Even what we're saying, God said. And in actual fact, in that Jeremiah keeps coming up. Tell them not to, to say God said. I wonder how many times you've got up and said, you know, I was waiting upon God and God told me this is what's going to happen in our church. This is what we need to do when God didn't. False fire. So we could go on. All right, moving on. Stagnation. In other words, stagnation, comma, rut life, not Rut, R-U-T, rut. Very close to R-A-T. 
Number 10, false theology or lopsided theology. False or lopsided theology. Do you know when something's lopsided, it's off balance. The one part's heavier than the rest. There are a lot of leaning tower of Pisa <laughs> in the body of Christ, and some have gone beyond it and eventually collapsed. So it's false or lopsided theology. Just because I'm not going to get to this, I'm just looking and just seeing. I surrender. <laughs> Let me just say this. Failure to distinguish between God's part and our part in our salvation and working it out. A failure to distinguish, that's false theology. We've got a part. I tried to say yesterday, God, no matter how much grace God's got, and I mean, I don't, it's immeasurable. God cannot repent for a human being on earth. God cannot exercise faith for a human being on earth. You've got to repent. And the moment you'd want to, God helps. But you've got to say yes. And you've got to mean it. And you've got to be sorry enough to quit. It talks about repentance without remorse. And scripture talk about it. Got to be sorry. It's not enough to be sorry. I got found out. You guys, I'm, I got found out. Okay. Yes, I've been cheating on my wife. Yes, I did steal that money. Yes, I did. I'm found out. It's to say, not, I'm sorry I've been exposed. Sorry, God, I broke your heart. I'm sorry enough to quit. And when you, God sees that kind of sorrow, even if you fail again, man, God comes through for you. How many times must I forgive you, my brother if he sins against me? 70 times 7. Or some say 70 times 70. But even 70 times 7. 490. You sinned, one, two, three, four, 480, 481. Four. Now I don't have to forgive you anymore. God's really saying, don't count. And that's how he is. But only you can repent that he may forgive. And I could go right through the list of so much. I've got a message that I could take seriously a few days on, on God's side and man's side. But somewhere we've confused obedience or working for God, doing our part with that's working for our salvation. And so many people, it starts off with we don't want to confuse the two and eventually we do confuse the two and make them we have no part to play. Right, next one. I'm looking at this and thinking, why, why am I moving to the next thing, but I better. 
No fear of God, or very little fear of God. We're talking about things that God's trying to deal with in the church, bring it back on course. Things that possibly are in, some of these are in, alive in your church that need to be dealt with. Otherwise, I wouldn't even be trying to point some of these things out. None of them are make you feel bad stuff. Just, hey, be aware what God's trying to get sorted out in the life of the church again. All right. No fear of God. As I said yesterday, we talk about each other like there's no consequence and so we go on. All right. We fear people. This is the next one. We fear people more than we fear God. It, it, it sounds so ridiculous and stupid. I feel embarrassed to say this, but, but it's so true in the church. How would a human being with a brain on their heads, in their heads, say, I, I'd rather offend God than offend that multimillionaire that might leave my church if I say this? You say, you, 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 you'd be brainless. You, Leaders are doing it. The bottom, the bum sitting on the seat is more important than what God thinks. Come back next Sunday. I can't lose you sitting there making me look right, look good. People are judging how big my church is. Just come back. I won't offend you. But I know this is breaking God's heart until eventually I couldn't care two hoots whether it's breaking God's heart. We fear people more than God, even afraid to challenge them. Even afraid to challenge them. Lack of truth and integrity. In other words, trust. How many people do you have on Sunday? 700, bro. There were 200. And how many people responded? I want to tell you, about 40 or 50? And there were two. Evangelistically speaking, You know what I'm saying? Next one is pastor demigods. Pastor demigods. In other words, part of that is entitlement. I'm entitled to. I'm entitled to, entitlement. It's a huge problem in the body of Christ. No accountability. Just as a silly little illustration, but just, I just thought of it right now. Guys will tell you, see, see it here, even in this time. Guys that are on team, I'm asking them from time to time, 
And you, some of you, you know that, I'm, that this is true because I've come to you. This has been my whole life in Christ. Is this going okay? I'm basically saying, am I scratching where it's itching? Is it getting too heavy? Is it getting too hard? I want to be held accountable. Now, I'm not asking for permission. I'm not even asking for you to pat me on the back. I'm, I want to be held accountable. And there's a whole bunch of people come here from different nations that cost a lot of money. And when I start to miss it, I want some guys to, t I don't wait for them to come and tell me. I go and ask them. Can I ask you as the visionary, start asking your eldership. Not to get a pat on the back and don't ask them if you can't handle truth. And don't get onto an eldership as, as anyone but the vision. If you, don't be a non-visionary elder or non-vision in the sense of, can I use the word lead elder? Don't get onto an eldership and not be the lead elder if you're not going to be honest with the lead elder. The Afrikaner have a saying, a yabru. Yes, brother. Everything, yes, brother, yes, brother, yes, brother. I don't want to be on a team where people don't hold me accountable. I want to just point out, because you, so you know I'm not like, I've asked Paul, I've asked Lee, uh, Rigby, uh, Darren, I, I've, I think I've asked Rudy, I'm not too sure, I've asked Kenny. I've asked a few guys, and we've only been here one and a half and, I'm, and I've asked others as well. I don't want to just get one perspective. I want to be accountable. That's what God wants his leaders to be. Stop being demigods. The next one, I, th I think I've mixed up somewhere along the line, but anyway, the next one is we've lost the true heart of Jesus. What his true heart really is. The next one is no real hunger for God and true worship. How hungry are you for God? And how hungry are the people of God in your church for God? Another one, and I can't go into it, but it's sure to cause some people to think of it as opposed to church planting. I'm going to just touch this naughtily. There are some places where sites are better than owning a huge big building and all the upkeep, etc., etc., and to have a few sites around. And that can be an advantage, etc., etc. But when sites replace church planting, there's a problem. Because the thing about a site that sometimes lose sight of is that if I can say I've got 50 sites around the world 
it looks like I'm really still doing well. The problem is, when I look at church, how do we as an eldership sitting in Adelaide care for 50, 50 sites somewhere in Mongolia, China, Malawi? So it's good and it's bad. So I'm just saying it's one of those things God is asking people to look at afresh. And not write them off, but not have the wrong motives for why we have sites. Not only that, when you have sites and every one of those guys who are caring for the people on the site have to come and report back to you, you've set up Mother Church. You say, Dudley, you're going sites. Oh, you, did you hear me? I'm saying it's something God's wanting people to look afresh at. Next one. We tolerate division, not unity, in so many churches. And division is more than one vision. Die, two, vision. We tolerate it. And while different people can have different callings within the life of a small church even, some people can have a passion for getting out on the streets and feeding the poor, clothing them, helping them, getting involved in sick people's lives, going into old age homes, hospitals. If that becomes the vision that overpowers, that it causes division amongst the people, that they start pushing, will you guys come with me to what we're doing instead of the big vision of what God's got for a church of 50 people. Not even talking about big ones. You can have so many visions, and we tolerate it. I hope you're getting what I'm saying. Next one is, and I touched it slightly somewhere in one of these, is individualism versus team. We have a team, well, you're not part of it. You can see some guys on the soccer field, especially some of the better leagues overseas. They are superstars. And you look at them and you mesmerize. You just say, I, I cannot believe that guy could do that. But so many of them, they're just individuals. They are not part of the team. And I mean, they are outstanding. I mean, there's some of these guys, I don't know how they play soccer like they do. And I, and I see it with even our Australian uh, rules foot, football here, AFL. I see it with rugby union, rugby league. You see it in a tennis court. Guy's so good on his own. The moment he's with someone else, he wants the ball, he wants, or she, or whoever it is. It's all the safe. Wants all the acclaim, et cetera, et cetera. And it's got it in the church individualism. We have a team, but we're not really part of it. Revenge. I cannot believe how many pastors are out there wanting to get even with some guy. Some even with me. And that could mean one of you. 
I'm just being naughty. I hope there isn't, but I'm not stupid enough to believe that everybody loves me. I'm not the easiest guy in the world to love. You had. You still got Jesus, bro. You know, vengeance is supposed to be God's. When my, that's what my Bible tells me. But Christians punish each other. Man, leaders are punishing people in their churches. They're punishing them. They're ignoring them. They won't let them do anything. They just stay in your corner. I haven't got the courage to chuck you out. But I've got stuff against you. And I'll get even with you. I've had that all my life from leaders. I'll get even with you. To post a negative thing on the internet about any human being is revenge. It's not integrity. Anything negative. It's revenge. You see, the problem with revenge, apart from all the bad stuff, when you're trying to get even with people, you stop being God's instrument to restore. Galatians chapter 6 tells us that when somebody falls, restore them gently, graciously. Even to get restored as a, as a, as a leader, it's, it's close to impossible in the church today to really get restored. You've got, there are too many hoops. There's, human beings just haven't got enough energy when they've fallen badly to jump through all those hoops. But I could come in as not a leader and I have just raped 16 women, murdered an old man, become a homosexual overnight, stolen from that bank, walk in, and tell you and say, I want Jesus, and you'll all stand and applaud and forgive me. Horrified, but, but I could come in as a leader and say, guys, I don't know how to tell you this. I'm feeling so ashamed. I've just fallen into some horrendous sin. Hoops. That's you gone. You say, that doesn't happen. Think of your own heart. Honestly, I've got to say my own in the past. In those early days. Unbelievably unchristlike. What happened to you, woman? Well, these guys, t- didn't you hear what they said, Jesus? This isn't what happened, but it could have happened this way. These guys walked in and they caught me under a man. The very act. They didn't hear about it. They saw me. And now they've got me here. And you and I both know what the law says. You, Jesus, you know what the law says. Stone them to death. So Jesus kind of looks around. He says, well, I'll tell you what. You perfect guys. Whichever one is, you've got no sin, throw the first one.
they all walk away. They, they were more courageous and honest in all of their sin than most leaders. Jesus looks at her and says, does no man condemn you? No, Lord, nor do I. Go, sin no more. And some translation, they say that that's not in some of the original, the, the sin no more. I believe it's there and it needs to be there, but we can't be convinced. What's in your heart? You see, this is what God, God I want to tell you that when God begins to use your church, really God uses you. He begins to bring broken leaders into your church. Oh, they're coming because they've heard something's happening and they're hoping this could be the place where I could find love and acceptance again. I'm telling you, when God starts to use your church, those people come. They don't stay long. If they don't find generous-hearted forgiveness and acceptance and love, even while we may have to be careful for a little while with some of the stuff that some guys may have done when it involves little children. Got to be careful. But there's got to be something here in the heart of the church. Does that make sense to you? Are you saying, Dudley, you're compromising now? Be honest with me. These are the things God's looking at. He wants his church to become like Jesus. Hey man, I know what you did. I know what the law says. I can't get around that. But I want to tell you, I've come that I'm going to give my life for this. There's forgiveness in God. I'm an expression of the forgiveness of God. You want to know what God's like about this sin? Forgiven. Go and don't, don't do it anymore. Quit that business. I'm sure there is a process, but who knows what? For some people it can be a week, and for some people it's 10 years. I mean, a week is just stupid, on, 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 if it's, especially if it's adultery or some of those stuff like that. It's, I'm just trying to show you that there isn't a, a formula. The Bible doesn't say not once. This is how long. But if some leaders will get around the worst of those sinners, I'm getting carried away because that's not what I want to do here. But if leaders would get around and help that person through, and really, truthfully, honestly be available, they'll come through quicker. But to give them hoops and wait to see how they perform. You jump through hoop three and you jump through hoop seven, but you miss four, five, and six. <clears throat> I think these... The last three, last two or three here. That things that God's trying to deal with in the life of the church. And I'm not always too sure how it's all going to work out. I just know that there's some of these problems and God's giving the church and will give each local church and its eldership answers how to do it without it becoming a formula. So the next one I want to just talk, say is small capacity leaders 
small capacity leaders, and I just, just stop whatever you're writing for the moment because I'm not finished the sentence. Small capacity leaders. Now, we read in, in Deuteronomy 1, captains of tens, captains of fifties, captains of hundreds, captains of thousands. So the captain of a thousand is a bigger capacity than the captain of a ten. But God gave them equally what God wanted for their life. So the captain of a thousand is no more important than the captain of the ten. But we've got to get the picture. They're different capacities. So when we talk about small capacity, we're not talking about it derogatory. We're talking about reality, what God has deposited. And that's true also of talents. He gives some one, some two, and some five. And the five is no better than the one if the one, talent God, does what he's supposed to do with the one. He would have also got that good, well done, good and faithful servant that the, the guy with the two got and that the guy with the five also got. You with me? So, now we can carry on with that sentence. Small capacity leaders operating in isolation. And not on team or with a team. It's a problem in the body of Christ. They're little guys that get hurt and they go off down and get the school hall or they get some little community center and they start their own little church relating to nothing and no one. Not accountable to a soul. And they're all over. Even when I drive on a Sunday sometimes to our meetings, I see a few of them on the way. And then six months later, you don't see that anymore. And I'm saying to you, well, I hope the bigger building, but then you find out they close down. They generally, generally are insecure, wounded, and they're trying to be a one-man show. I'll show you. Next one. Am I going too, too fast? You haven't got it down? The next one is the inability to build a true apostolic prophetic base church. I'm not finished yet, but I'll repeat that. The inability to build a true apostolic prophetic base church through which apostolic prophetic ministry team can operate and be resourced. The inability to build a true apostolic prophetic based church through which apostolic prophetic team can operate and be resourced. Like Paul, he was resourced by base churches. I need Timothy. No church helped me financially but you guys. 
I honestly believe that God wants every little local church and big local church to be a base church. I honestly believe that. I believe a guy, a church of 45, I believe a guy, a church of 25 could become a base church. It couldn't do the same capacity-wise as a church of 10,000, but man, it can do what God calls it to do if it will become a base church. And I'm hoping, I'm losing, say this in the right sense, I'm losing faith to believe that I'll get there, but I would love, I've got the notes here on the base church again from, I can't tell you when, when I was still in South Africa. And they haven't changed what it means to be a base church. And here's a, an important thing. We do have three, two, three minutes. Here's just one little important thing. In order to be a base church, you as the visionary have to be able to be able to go without the church falling apart. The only way you can get a, a base is to give other guys opportunity so your people are used to not just you. In the days when we still used to answer our phone. leaders. I hope that drops in. In the days when we used to still answer our phones as leaders, in the days when we as leaders used to still, I want to reword it until we get it, we used to where we actually answer the phone. Often people would find, who's preaching today? And that was the decide as to whether they came. And if we had an exciting guy coming for the next three weeks, we tell them they're coming. When we have someone who's not that exciting, we don't say anything. And we wonder why we never become a base church. A base church must be able to keep going, not miss a step, whether you're there or not. And if you do all the preaching and all every decision and every, 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 you can never become a base church. Get it into your heart and head. And I'm wanting to clap, smack myself on the back of the head a hundred times. I feel so bad saying this. But these are things God's dealing with in the church. Will you let him? In your life, your church, your leadership, will you leaders let him? And I want to tell you truthfully, he will help you if you will just be honest and say yes. And stop making it all about what you and your church are doing. Aren't you grateful for that church at Antioch? And we don't know anybody's name. I don't want to go through that again. I did tell you, but aren't you? That's the church that influenced the rest of the Western world and the, the rest of the non-Israeli world or that little part of the world. That's the church. And you and I are part of it because some people were willing to be not known well on earth, but known so well 
in the courts of the devil and his demons and in heaven. I want the devil to have to say, man, that Dudley Daniel, I know him. He is a pain in my neck. Look at the guy, he's waking and getting up out of bed. Boy, I've got trouble. Is that possible? I directly believe it is. Imagine a church of 500 people, and as they wake up, the devil says, uh oh, guys, we got trouble. These guys are awake again. Normally he says, we're going to have some more fun. These guys are waking up. Boy, we're going to have the time of our lives. And I had the time of my... Wrong song, bad one. (laughs) I used to stand up and sing, I can't get no satisfaction. And I thought, I better stop that. And I didn't. I've just done it again. Let's go and have lunch. Father, please, we're just bowing our hearts before you as human beings as people of like passion, as other people around, susceptible to everything they are, even people who don't know you, but we know you. And we have a heart that wants to please you. Not because we can earn anything, we just want your heart to be gladdened. And so these men bowed before you with me. In our hearts, we're really saying, Help us, Lord. Help us. And we know that the moment we say help us and mean it, that the Holy Spirit rushes in, because he was always there standing by, the one who draws alongside us, the parakletos, that he's going to help us. So we want to glorify and magnify Jesus with every part of our lives to the best of our ability. Even when we fail, help us to stand up quickly. Get on our feet, claim cleansing, forgiveness, and believe it. And speak like we never did sin, knowing you do not hold it against us. You mean it when you say, and their sins will I remember no more. Help us to stop confessing what we confessed long ago, to live in freedom. Because there's not one of us bowed before you that hasn't failed and messed up and even messed up some people's lives. And we have confessed it. Help us to live free now with a focus on you and not to allow ourselves to be brought into bondage by anyone, including the devil or people around us, but to live in the freedom that is ours in Christ. For freedom has Christ set us free. Help us to stand fast, firmly, in the freedom that Christ has set us free in. In Jesus' name, amen.